Welcome to the Fulfilled Podcast. The podcast designed to spark fundraising inspiration for your nonprofit through thought-provoking interviews with world-leading fundraising experts. Fulfilled brings a unique interview style approach where we ask the most important questions of our expert guests to help nonprofits excel in their fundraising efforts. Feel inspired and feel fulfilled with knowledge so your nonprofit can continue to make a positive impact and create change for a better world. Hi everyone, Jake here from Fulfilled. Today I'll be talking digital fundraising strategies with Chanel Nugent Clapper. Chanel's career began with WWF Australia and has since become a digital fundraising author and founded her consultancy Parachute Digital. Chanel, welcome. Hi, Jake. Thanks for having me. No, it's good to have you here. So tell us about your first role that you had in fundraising. So yeah, that was at WWF, as you said before, and I I had been, so I love to travel more than anything else in the world. And so I had been on a, an overseas trip for a year. I'd quit my job and gone traveling, a job that I loved and was really good at, um, but I was teaching English as a foreign language in Honduras, in, in an island called Roatan, and I taught them for about six months, and it was all unpaid because there were no paid jobs in Central America, which I didn't know before I went to go do teaching English. Um, so I was, te- I was doing SEO at a, at a hotel, like at a posh hotel, where I used to get to go by boat to work. And then I, in the afternoons, I would go and teach, like go to one of the local schools and I would teach English to anyone that wanted to come along. So when I started, it was like five people. Um, and when I finished, after six months, there was about 40 people in my class, everything from five-year-olds to their parents, people that had no English to all English. I'd pulled in a couple of my friends to help me. And when I left, um, I like one of the mums gave me like a pot plant out of her garden, which I couldn't obviously take with me back to Australia. But like that payment and that reward, and I'd never felt so fulfilled as doing that teaching English work where people were like felt like I had changed their life like for the better and I just left going I want more of that I want I want to feel that feeling more often that I am contributing something meaningful to this world and helping people use skills skills that I have to help people so um when I came back, I actively was looking for a role in the not-for-profit space. Um, and I did start fundraising for that school in Rotan, like just to try and get them their own school rather than having to use the, the, like, the primary school and things like that. So when I started at WWF, like I had been doing digital for about five or six years then. Um, and my remit was, we need you to turn the website into a fundraising channel. Um, And I had always been driving traffic and advertising um, and driving people to do things on websites and to get them to convert. But I'd always been frustrated as a marketer that I didn't own the website and I couldn't control the experience. So when I went to WWF, that was really like the start of my product development journey in digital where I was able to completely own and control and um, innovate and um, inspire and create the uh, the experience that I wanted people to have mm-hmm. and learn how 
how that actually works. Yeah, great. So when you talk about the website rebuild, what were some goals that you were out to achieve with that rebuild? Um, so definitely it was about turning it into a fundraising channel. So how do we um, build the audience, like bring more people to WWF, people that are being pre-qualified, people that care about the cause. It was how do we keep building our database? Like at WWF, most of their database was built off of Earth Hour, which most people didn't even know was WWF that created it to begin with. So it was like, how do we bring more people in, capture their details and take them to the next logical step in their journey? And whether that was to look for information on how to live more sustainably or um, information about endangered and threatened species or if that was how can they support the cause, my job was to get them to take that next step, which is usually capturing details or giving money. Yeah, great. Was there, a, was there a digital culture already in place of WWE? Absolutely not. I was the first, first head of digital, first digital fundraising, digital marketing person. They had a production team where they had a website manager and they had like a graphic designer that might do a few bits, but they were much more developers. I was the first sort of marketer that was brought in um, and that was given the opportunity and actually had KPIs, whereas most organisations in Australia, even now in 2019, um, have a digital production team. They're not really strategists. They're not driving the, the vision. They're basically having fundraising or comms come to them and say, we need this. Can you please build the page? Can you please put the email together? So I was, um, I was able to drive the strategy whilst also building it for them as well. Did you have to get buy-in from the fundraising team? You know, was it uh, when you, when they're bringing in digital and all these strategies, were, were they a bit standoffish or were they really open to it? Did you have to create um, that digital concept? Jenny O'Donnell's still the fundraising director at WWF and she was absolutely um, open-minded and interested and curious. And Jenny's approach was just like, um, I need to drive funds you tell me you can do it, make it happen. Um, whereas uh, Lawrence, who was the um, marketing and fundraising director at the time, she was much more of a digital advocate and really gave me a lot of support and really sort of put me in front of the stakeholders and allowed me to work with them to educate them. But um, I found that WWF were open to it and they, they just wanted to achieve their goals and they were open to anyone who had the nous to try and do it. So what did you notice were some key differences coming from a corporate role into a fundraising role? Hmm, everything's different. Um, but for me, I think like WWF had more than half the staff probably have a PhD. Like, and their objective, they're a science-driven organisation that um, talk about saving the world, like literally stopping climate change to save the world. And, you know, climate change had far more gravitas in 2009 when I started there than it does now. Like there's more apathy and a bit more of um, complacency now, but it was far bigger. Uh, people were more scared of it. 
and it's probably coming back to that in 2019, but it, we've, we had a big dip in the middle where people were a bit apathetic. Um, and just having those conversations about changing the world rather than driving volume, driving traffic, and like in fundraising, it's definitely the sales arm of an organisation. So their job is to drive dollars, and so numbers and revenue matter. But the way it's approached is from a, the cause is still the underlying element rather than it being an objective, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a really interesting way of putting it, really nice. So in 2012, you founded Parachute Digital. How do you feel that you've been able to have an impact with the clients that you've been working for? Okay, so Parachute Digital, mostly the impact we make is bringing, is building databases and bringing new donors in and retaining those donors through more personalized, um, stories and content and through a better user experience uh, and what that means is is essentially just trying to always make what the organization is talking to its supporters about relevant to that supporter and their life and really trying to target people and the beauty of digital is that we we can target and profile really well is that target people that care and don't go after the people that don't care because for instance for climate change or for the refugee issue if i don't believe in climate change i'm not going to waste a charity's money trying to convince that person that it's true i'm going to focus on the people that already believe it's true and try and get them to put their money where their mouth is and support the cause in a more meaningful way than just through um, agreeing mm. and maybe but to get them to change some of their behaviours and to get them to fund the fight to to show that we need we need more renewables we need other things um, at Parachute Digital we've been able to drive lower cost per acquisition for donors um, we've been able to show much better retention rates. Um, reduced attrition rates for charities that are investing a lot in acquisition, but trying to make sure that once they acquire those people, they don't just fall out the other end, that we can keep them engaged and keep them supporting the cause because it's a lot cheaper to retain someone than to acquire them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know from experience, you've got a really good reputation within the organisation, uh, within the sector in Australia for what you do in the digital space. But how difficult has it been transitioning into a consultancy role and getting buy-in and building up your own client base? Um, I think my one of my core strengths, um, like I've done this strengths assessment thing, so I actually know this for a fact rather than it just being an opinion. Um, I did it with the Langley Group, if anyone else is interested. But um, I am just that natural public speaker, like it's not something I have to work hard at, it is something, if you ever met my dad, you would see it's a family trait, my sister's got it. So in terms of like, building enthusiasm and educating people and talking and sharing knowledge and information. That's one of my key skills is being able to, to speak articulately and to share, share my knowledge. And I, I try to be really generous with that. I think that if people have the skills to do it themselves, they will. And if I can just give them a few tools or tactics, 
then I want to encourage and mentor and build up the capabilities and the capacities of charities because not everyone can afford an agency and if we can get more of these skills in-house then people then organizations will do better we'll grow the whole sector we will fund the courses that we're trying to solve and so that's the legacy that I want to have personally and that I want Parachute Digital to have is that we will help you in any way we can, even if you can't afford us. I will give you, I will share my, my knowledge. I will tell you where not to waste your time and where to invest your energy. But I want the impact that we have to be in building capacity and capability in digital across the charity sector, not just for our clients. Yeah, great. I'm um, really excited to be going into the next phase of this uh, conversation into fundraising strategy. But before we go there, what do you think's changed the most over the past 10 years in the digital fundraising space specifically? That's a really good question. I had to think about that when you sent it through. Um, and I want to consult my notes, but I'm going to try and talk off the top of my, off my from memory. But um, so the things that have stayed the same is that Digital is still an add-on. It like the, I can only think of a handful of organisations where digital is really core um, across their organisation where everybody does it. It's just built into everything, and they're the GetUps and the 350.orgs and the organisations that are maybe younger and that have have um, been born in a digital age. Um, the things that are still the same in that everyone's still trying to drive acquisition, like there's still not enough focus on retention or on quality. Um, there's not enough, like organisations like to say that they're donor centric, but I don't see that. I think that it's still just a numbers game. Um, the things that are changing though, is that there are, um, there's more digital resources, absolutely. Like there are whole teams in some organisations. There's at least one person in every organisation now. Um, the things that have changed is there is more focus on um, storytelling and personalisation than there was when I started in fundraising 10 years ago. There in digital, there's more um, like peer-to-peer -peer has come out of nowhere and just like you know most organizations that raise significant funds online it's going to be out of peer-to-peer -peer. Um, so for things that are the same email still driving most of the income for appeals um, sms has come up out of nowhere things like that. Yeah, great, great answer. So when you go into a fundraising team for the first time or you sit down and you start to plan with a fundraising manager, what information do you need from them to create an effective digital strategy? So generally it's a understanding who, what, their, what their pain point is or what their, what's the problem they're trying to solve or what's the objective they're trying to achieve, which is usually 80% of the time it's acquisition or it's a lack of visibility in their reporting and needing to actually be able to attribute dollars to digital rather than other channels perhaps. Um, but generally I need to know who their donors are, like what kind of people are in their audience now and who do they want to attract? Because that essentially drives, like digital's just a distribution channel. It's all about the content that you're pushing out to 
people and what they care about. So we're trying to understand who is that person that you want to bring in to the organisation? What do you have to offer them? So what's the hook or what is relevant about your organisation to them? And how can we how can we get them to spend that time and money with your organisation instead of with somebody else's? Um, but And the other part would be, what is the organisation's appetite for to be bold and to try new things or their appetite to be um, solely ROI focused, need to do tried and true, need to know that it's worked for other organisations before or are they prepared to do things differently? When you think of a big bold idea, is there anything in particular that comes to mind as um, possibly a campaign or um, fundraising team that tried something that was really bold but really paid off? The only person that I can think of in the last couple of years that's actually come to me and said, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing, I want to do something different, was James Clampett at the Benevolent Society. He was like, we've got a really small fundraising program, fundraising is not a big deal to the Benevolent Society, therefore we can, um, we can do things a bit differently. So we put together more of a content strategy whereby we wanted to go for high net worth individuals rather than the mass, the general mass, which is where digital generally sits. Um, and we wanted to target people that we knew, like the baby boomers and um, people that were pre-early -reti retirees who had investment properties, who were philanthropists, who had this sort of nurture carer profile or the people that really wanted to leave a legacy who it, their their philanthropy was part of their public persona and it was important to them to um, to give uh, publicly mm -hmm. so we wanted to create content talking to them about um, where they're at the stage they're at in their life and where they what they want to what legacy or what they want to be remembered for and it wasn't about gifts and wills it was about major giving but it was all driven around a content strategy whereby we would um, engage them with the content take them um, like have at least have them read two articles before we ask them to capture any details and then nurturing them towards one-to-one -to -one conversations rather than like a digital automated journey while we might have a part of that it was really about trying to get in the room with these people and and talk to them about how they could give um, because digital is always sort of used to for scale and this was a really different approach um, Unfortunately, I don't know the results of that and whether it paid off, but it was a campaign that we got to really do a lot of persona development of who we were targeting and trying to find those people online and use programmatic targeting and use like hypertext targeting and keyword targeting for what people were typing into Google or articles that they were reading or um, ways that they described themselves in their profiles to, to try and find these, these people. Um, Another organisation was House With No Steps that wanted to do a retention strategy um, for their face-to-face -face supporters, which we did through a evergreen custom, custom audience targeting in Facebook, whereby we were trying to use 
instead of trying to go out with an email retention journey, trying to just use a targeted Facebook retention journey to get those stories in front of them, of which um, I've now been able to do two or three of those for other organisations, and it can reduce the first week or two weeks attrition rate from, um, you know, 20% drop-off rate from face-to-face -face people cancelling in the first two weeks, dropping it down to, you know, 16%, and that can mean, you know, millions of dollars over the life of a campaign, mm, of a face-to-face -face program. Yeah, when you talk about, um, you know, content is key, I mean, how do you craft a powerful story? So I've got a criteria for what makes um, a good fundraising story and a good campaign story. Like campaigning, you use um, the story of us, the story of um, the story of I, the story of now, the story of us. Um, but in fundraising, like for me, it's just like the it has to have it has to tick certain boxes. So you've got to be able to create some urgency, and you know we can create that. It doesn't always have to exist innately in the um, in the case study or in the story, but you've got to be able to create some urgency. You have to have a person or an animal at the centre of it, um, something that people can empathise with and sympathise with, and that they care about. Um, you've got to have some data that supports that, but the data should never be the lead in fundraising, in my opinion. Um, people don't give to statistics, they give to people, or they give to a thing that they love, like an animal or a, or a person. Um, it needs to have um, a, like a case study, like uh, the, where you can demonstrate where the money goes and how this person has like what was the, um, their scenario before and what was the scenario after they received this help. And it needs to be a clearly a, a solution that you can explain in two sentences. It, ha it can't be a complex solution, um, which is really difficult for a lot of organisations and fundraisers get a bad rap for dumbing things down. But unfortunately, people's eyes glaze over when you go into detail. Most people don't want it. And we have to appeal to the largest common denominator, not to the niche audience that may want that level of detail. But making sure that we have good vision, that we have like some video and some good images is, is key because they're the things that are really what build the empathy that we need. Um, having something tangible in the solution is important, but that's what we try to create with the dollar handles. And again, it's really a challenge for some organisations, but it's about demonstrating where the money goes and making and being authentic and truthful about how that donor's money is used and what the organisation, how they achieve their mission. Yeah, when you think about getting that powerful story in front of uh potential supporters or donors. I mean, what channels should fundraisers be aware of for the year 2020 coming up in terms of getting that story out through digital? Um, so, well, gosh, things change so quickly, but I think at the moment, like, we have to be looking at messenger apps like WhatsApp and um, Facebook Messenger and things like that, like how an SMS needs to be used more strategically, less as a um, as a broadcast tool and more as a personal tool. Like I think that um, 
consumers and people and donors are quite forgiving of organisations that send them an email to register for an event after they've already registered. Um, but I think their capacity to forgive that is going to um, dissipate. I think we expect we're going to have higher expectations of how people use our data because we understand that you have it. We know what we've done and if you, if you can't um, update your systems, like we're seeing AMP last night getting smashed in the media because they're still charging people that have died their um, insurance or their home loans and things like that. And you just, you know, and it's all about process and they are taking three or six months to update their systems. A lot of people are contacting and updating charities of their, their change of status and they're not responding. A lack of it some of it is a lack of apathy or a lack of empathy. Um, it's not a lack of apathy. It's some of it is they're um, complacent or apathetic or not detail oriented or too stretched, but not having enough empathy to follow through with things like that. But people are not going to forgive that. And we've seen AMP's share price has dropped by half. Um, charities that have had security breaches have had like mass like hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars wiped off their fundraising because it affects trust. So digital is excellent at being able to personalise and target content, but you've got to do it right and you have to do it with empathy and you have to do it with a level of accuracy. Mm. And um, if you get it wrong, I think people are going to be much less forgiving in the future. Oh, and how much resource would a organisation need to put into maintaining that? Is it just being across your database regularly, your messaging regularly, um, just to ensure, you know, like as you say, going out to someone who's recently passed and still getting asked for money, you know, so that doesn't happen? So there's some... So marketing automation is like a big buzzword and digital transformation, which you know, all mean different things. Marketing automation is just one element, which is about taking content and trying to personalise it based on people's behaviour and the activities that they're doing. Um, but the resource around that, you've got the dollars that you need to invest in the software, but then the, the work around the strategy, the content, the mapping of journeys to the data sets, um, the trigger points that of the actions that people will take and the content that they should receive as part of that, they need to put at least three times the amount of budget into the content and the strategy and the implementation of that marketing automation than they do into the cost of the software. And what I find is that organisations believe in the digital future the opportunity of marketing automation and personalization for clients um, and service recipients and beneficiaries of services, as well as for donors, but they're only budgeting for the software. They're not building the capabilities within their team. They're not hiring resources within their team that can do that. Um, I'm seeing more and more content roles come up into charities, which is brilliant. Um, but that content person, like it's a behemoth, the amount of content that is needed for personalization. And I think that's where um, organizations aren't allowing, or they're not, their budgeting isn't allowing for the resource or the extra um, 
outsource costs that they need for, for that element. They seem to be understanding what they need for lead generation budgets. They're understanding what they need for um, maybe web development budgets and, and software tools. Um, but they're not taking into account the effort to create video or to create written content or to get photography or the time it takes to actually craft that content to different channels and not just use one thing in every single channel. When you think of other common mistakes uh, being made in digital fundraising, what comes to mind? Um, a lack of personalisation and segmentation, particularly in appeals. Um, you know, fundraisers are data people at their core and a lot of them are just, they don't do it for digital. What they would, the, the things that they would segment and test and personalise in a direct mail piece, you can do all of that in digital. The strategies are exactly the same. It's only the implementation that's a little bit different, but I find that they're, they're not doing that segmentation, just little things like that. They're not, um, they're not doing retention. like. Outside of the advocacy organisations, I can hardly think, I can only think of the Heart Foundation and a couple of other organisations that actually do retention communications just, just because these people have signed up to our newsletter, we should talk to them rather than just asking for money. So I think retention is not a big enough focus. There is not enough brand work done because 50% of bequest um, income that comes into organisations is from people that are unknown to the organisation. If organisations were to invest more in their brand and helping people understand the difference between um, like their, their point of difference of what their organisation stands for, I think that they would bring more bequests and they would bring more donors to them organically than just through push marketing. And do you feel that um you know, there's just channels that uh, digital fundraisers are wasting time in, like, you know, that have little to no return? It depends on the objective. So my personal opinion is for an appeal, um, and there's always an exception to the rule, like Amnesty International and the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, which you've worked at, Jake, are exceptions to the rule where social media for appeals goes gangbusters for those guys. But in general, I've done so many audits, I've done so many um, strategies and reviews where organisations have done six digital appeals that have returned like four donors each time. They've spent $15,000 on a Facebook appeal that delivered four donors, but then they spend $250 on their AdWords campaign that brings in $10,000. Like, so I think there's this focus on Facebook for direct online donations and it just generally doesn't convert in terms of cash giving maybe for regular giving it can work um, but I think that but Facebook for peer-to-peer -peer is an absolute game changer and it's required Facebook for retention for general brand messaging and retention of donors I think is highly valuable but for giving like in the first instance i think people they waste a lot of energy on facebook i spend a lot of time talking to people that call me and say we want to do a christmas appeal for on a with a facebook campaign and i'm like you shouldn't do it i don't recommend it it's a waste of money and they're like no we want to try it anyway i'm like yeah. you're just wasting donors money yeah no, it is not a good use of funds 
Um, I think SMS is underutilised, uh, but we need to be careful because once they start using it, they'll overuse it and then it will stop working. Um, but content and SEO, like optimising your content to bring people in that are looking for things that you have is a completely wasted opportunity that organisations, no, hardly anyone is thinking about SEO. If they are, it's only because they're part of service provisions in the aged care market or in the NDIS market. Yeah, that's very interesting. How do you, how, what does an SEO strategy look like in the fundraising space? Um, for fundraising, it should be built around um, people looking looking to support, or it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be around donate keywords and things like that. It would be around bringing people in who are looking for information about your mission and your vision and what your cause does, and then taking them on a next logical step through your website towards giving. But the SEO and the content strategy is you don't, it, it's not, it might be with fundraising as the end goal, but where content should always be about what the user is looking for, what the person is interested in. So if I'm looking for information about um, how to use my NDIS funding to get in-house assistance um, so that I can be more independent, then I should be, then the charity should be focusing on keywords around that. If I am an animal rights organisation that is trying to stop um, dog meat trade in Indonesia, then I should be, um, then the organisation should be building content that's all around how, how it happens, what the supply chain is, what the process is that they're going, how do they identify these dog meat traders, where are they keeping the dogs while they um, skin them? And then once a donor comes in and is reading this or a supporter, it's like, do you want to do something about this? Here are the ways that you can help. It's taking them on the next logical step. It's remarketing to them. It's capturing their details and asking them to advocate and support on behalf of that mission. But not many people go in and type, donate to X charity or find, um, animal rights charity to give to. Most people know who they want to give to already. Um, and the only time that happens is around ta key tax periods or when someone has had an emotional trigger. So you absolutely need to create content around donations, but you're going to drive a lot more people to your website by focusing on the information that you have and your cause, which is what they're going to connect to. And then once you've got them on the site, trying to convert them to, into a next logical step from there. Um, so just quickly back to social media, there's probably many organisations out there going, you know, Facebook, yes, we have to do it, but do we need to do your Twitters, your Instagrams, your Pinterest? There's so many social media channels out there at the moment. Does that need to come into a digital fundraising strategy? Um, it's going to be different for like, so an organisation like Dress for Success, Pinterest may work really well for them. An organisation that has op shops, like maybe um, there would be something like Pinterest would work for them. If you're an advocacy organisation where you are really about 
like so the climate council who are you know responding to government who are responding to um, the right-wing media who are there to educate on climate science like Twitter is probably really important to them um, organizations that are fundraising organizations and don't run services and don't do a lot of advocacy work um, are not using social media tools like Twitter or Reddit or um, things like that in the way that they're designed. They're using it like a broadcast tool when it should be a two-way communication between anyone who wants to have a two-way communication with the organisation. Um, social media is of great value for um, building awareness of issues and building that groundswell of support and building some empathy and some um, and like demonstrating the work but it is a bit of a time sink in terms of uh, if you're not using it to capture a lead or as a brand builder then if you're trying to drive donations out of those channels they generally don't deliver very much outside of an emergency and everyone I mean most fundraising teams, I assume, and I'm pretty sure we'll put a lot of emphasis on email marketing um, to generate income and donations for all purposes. What are some simple hacks that you can give viewers to get the most out of their email marketing campaign? Um, so email marketing, like I've been in digital since 2004 and email has been rock solid until maybe two years ago. And we've gone from getting like, we can still get an open rate, but getting a click in email is a lot harder than it used to be. Getting opens is harder than it used to be. But we used to be able to almost forecast a 20% click through rate. Now organizations are sometimes lucky if they can get 3% click through rates. So we're now having to tell more of the story in the email, um, which is, lending itself to longer form emails, which is largely driven by advocacy organisations that have more complex issues to explain. Um, generally, whenever I test long versus short email and long versus short landing page for lead capture conversion or for giving, like donations, short always wins. Um, so despite this longer format that is coming in, shorter still always wins so you know cut back your emails where you can um, for subject lines always send them from a person rather than from the organization um, send them with a subject line that's about three words if you can if you aim for three words you might get it to four with personalization always use first letter capitalization in your emails which a lot of brand guidelines say don't do, but I would say it's worth fighting against them for that. Um, and I like to, you've got to tell your story through the links in the email. So a lot of organisations like to just hyperlink a whole set, two lines of something. But I, I have had much better success if you always put a link in the first sentence. And then as you go through like, if the words that you choose to hyperlink throughout the email, if a person's eye is drawn to those, and if they're the only things they read, they should be able to understand the story just from the links. Yeah, great. Oh, well, some great tips in there. So how do you measure the success of the content you create and the campaigns that you put out? 
Um, well, generally, like before we start a campaign, we've developed the KPI metrics that we're working towards. So it's going to be different. Like an acquisition campaign is always going to be, you know, the cost per lead, the, um, the cost per acquisition for a new donor that we acquire. Um, and then the attrition rate are probably the three key things that drive ROI. The average gift is important, um, but as is the cost per lead, but cost per leads are going up as the marketplace is becoming more cluttered and more mature. Uh, for a retention campaign, it's attrition and it's um, number of gifts and lifetime value. Um, for a peer-to-peer -peer campaign, it would be how many of those fundraisers how many of the participants fundraised? So, um, you know, trying to get it up over that 50% mark, how many donations per fundraiser, what the average gift is, trying to lift those metrics. Um, on a website, it's um, all about the conversion rate. So how many people arrive on your donation page and actually give? And we're doing a lot of work with conversion rate optimization for lead capture pages and for websites to get people to that next logical step. So um, like with content, we wanna see uh, how many pages they viewed and time spent, like dwell time and time on a page rather than time on site. But these days, the things, those metrics are really different now to what they were a few years ago. Like we, people consume content in smaller amounts. They read, like things are chunked down. We're on mobile devices, so everything is a lot less. So it's more about repeat visitation on a website and the conversion of getting that visitor to your site and getting them to take another action, whether it's download a report, sign up, to you know, receive communications, make a donation, make a pledge or take a poll or something like that, but trying to get them to engage and take more than one action. Yeah, when you think of digital, I mean, you can measure almost anything. It's, it's incredible the extent of data that you can get from it and take action on that. When you think of offline channels, so, you know, the DM or anything like that, you must be, I mean, that must play a part in the digital journey and uh, overlaps with online in many ways. Does digital need to collaborate with offline? Absolutely. Absolutely, like digital's not the best channel for everything. Like brand, building brand awareness, digital is not the channel. It can support it. Like digital is in its core, a direct response channel. It is for someone to click and take the next action. And in the charity space, it's infuriating to me that we still haven't been able to crack that conversion um, piece as much because we don't have a product. We don't have, our value exchange is you give me money and I'll give you a feel good feeling, but it might only last for 30 seconds. Like it's not an endorphin hit that lasts for 15 minutes with a glass of wine or for, a, um, you know, for the extent of a game or something like that. You've got a very small window of opportunity um, to convince somebody and then the payoff is really brief and fleeting. Um, but Digital has to integrate, and that's my biggest gripe at the moment, is there's definitely organisations that are investing money in digital, but it's still an add-on. It's still not 
integrated into their strategy. It's still either completely siloed or it's seen as a production unit or it's not given it's not treated as the direct response channel that it is. And in corporate sectors, digital is generally the hero. They use TV to drive online. But because we don't have a product, we, we struggle with that. Like selling a feel good feeling for a few seconds is a really difficult thing to do. Like you're making a values alignment for a person but they have so many other competing demands for their, you know, expendable income. Like a donation's a really hard, hard sell. So that empathy piece and that relatability to their life is so important. But digital um, can support PR incredibly well. Digital can support direct mail to drive people online where they tend to give higher average gifts or to get them to give straight away. Direct mail might be the first touch point, digital might be the conversion point where we can get them to give. SMS, getting people to read something that they might not have opened in from their mailbox. Um, so I think digital is an excellent support channel in the charity space. In um, many of my previous lives, like driving people to apply for jobs or getting people to register like for things like Big Pond movies and like, you know, iTunes and stuff like that to buy things like Spotify. They're the types of things I did before and there's so much more instant gratification and longer term payoff for those things that digital is the hero in all of those stories. But in the charity space, we are still getting most of our income from the older generations. Um, and while lots of people are giving and taking actions online, they're not giving as much as um, people, as older generations are through other channels. So I think the role of digital is to support those channels and integrate with them and make them work harder rather than say, well, we must be first because that's not the case in many for peer-to-peer, -peer, digital should be first. For, um, for acquisition in terms of uh, bringing, building databases and bringing people into an organisation, digital should be first. But it needs to, the retention communications need to be omni-channel. Face-to-face um, -face is still bringing in more people because it's harder to say no to a person than to close an email. Digital's a very private affair. Nobody's looking over your shoulder. Nobody's watching you except Google. Yeah. <laughs> except Google and maybe your government. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little too much Google. Yeah. But, uh, so I think I asked earlier about what will change most in the year, next year, 2020. But when you think the next five years, what do you feel will change most in the digital space when it comes to connecting with supporters, with new supporters? I really like, people ask me to do a five-year digital strategy and I just say no. <laughs> like I cannot tell, I can only really see a year or two out and a lot of the things that we thought would be far more entrenched now that aren't. Um, like I thought mobile giving, there would be far more people giving by mobile. I thought there'd be far more like biometric payments than there still are. Um, but I think Marketing automation in the charity space has got to be like the personalization piece and maybe cross device personalization, whereby things that we're like that we'll, we'll understand how, how many devices people have and how they're using them and their behaviors. 
uh, and being able to profile better on tablets, for instance, where your kids use them a lot. Like Google must think I'm a five-year-old girl because most of the activity on my phone is in YouTube is all my daughter. Like I don't watch anything in there anymore. But like my search history would be incredibly different to my YouTube history, but they're both owned by Google. Um, and like, I think messenger apps and particularly outdoor, like this facial recognition software and being able to personalize content outdoor and how outdoor and digital work better together. I imagine that that will become bigger in the corporate space. I don't know about in the charity space. I don't think they're ready for it um, or prepared to take the risks. Um, mostly because of the budget investment required for possible less payoff. Um, but I really hope that um, charities spend more time focusing on the fundamental foundations that digital can offer around content and search engine optimization, around giving people a good experience and making it easy for them to give and getting them to come back and engage with the cause and the mission and not only asking for money. Yeah, great. Um, and you wrote a book called Digital Fundraising Networks. So tell us a bit about why you wrote that and what fundraisers can expect to learn from that. Um, I wrote that because it was basically, I got asked the same questions over and over again and I, people had the same disbelief or myths about digital, um, charities had the same problems and so I wrote it down. Um, and it was, it's really written for the non-believers, it's written for the people that are actually brand new to, to even thinking about how digital might work within their organisation or people that absolutely just think it's not right for fundraising. I wanted to just put case study after case study after case study after case study to prove that it works because there are so many people that are just like, digital doesn't work for us, um, when usually that's more about how it was implemented and the... Um, the ask that you made, but it's digital works for everybody. It's more that digital won't work for some donor segments. Um, if your audience are 80 plus, they maybe are not giving online because they still value a different type of communication. Um, but digital works for every cause and every mission. It doesn't work for every donor segment. It doesn't work for every type of giving, such as bequest giving or um, major giving. You are still going to have more success with a personal approach. But digital can support those channels by putting together um, portfolios of projects that can be supported that major donors can browse and ask questions and um, you know, look through video content and forecasts and things like that through bequesting, it's through giving people the tools they need to use the right wording in their will. It's about getting people to understand the value of legacy giving and not being tied. So again, it's around content, around being donor centric, but um, digital works for every cause. It just doesn't work for every person. Um, so when you think of the next five to 10 years for yourself and Parachute Digital, what are you striving for? Um, 
like I said at the beginning, like for Parachute Digital and for myself, we really want to build capacity and capability and digital skills within the whole sector. At the moment, there is still, there is a huge digital skills shortage in Australia, but particularly in the charity sector because um, they're not as competitive on price. And there are so many people poaching your staff, including me. Um, if I see good digital talent, I go after it as well. So, um, but for Parachute Digital, we are really known in the fundraising space, but we are digital natives in the not-for-profit sector. So we want to do more organisational-wide digital strategies. We want to look at how we can help organisations um, with their clients and their beneficiaries, how digital can support client service and client requirements, as well as donors. Um, we've been doing more campaigning and helping organisations mobilise their audiences and drive change in behaviours and things like that. But um, mostly we want to keep innovating and do new things and keep finding better ways to do the things that work. Um, for me, I don't know, maybe I'll go back client side, back, back charity side. Can you see that happening? I would love to. I'd love to um, immerse myself again in a cause and give all of my skills and passion and enthusiasm and knowledge to one organisation for a little while again. Um, hopefully one day Parachute Digital um, can totally run without me. Oh, great. Oh, well, I might have to turn fulfilled into a recruitment site. Might, yeah. get, might get my first recruit. All right, well, we're down to the last question. So thank you for your time. You've, got, you've given great advice for our digital fundraisers out there. What's your final piece of advice to inspire and fulfill digital fundraisers to make a positive impact and create change for a better world? Um, just keep educating yourself. Keep trying new things. Um, fight. Damn the man who says no. Keep keep fighting, keep advocating internally. If you know something will work, do it and apologise later. Yeah, great. Thank you, Chanel. You're Thank welcome. You. <laughs>